0: But it wasn't until I did ayahuasca and actually died in my first experience and disintegrated and became um, eaten by all the maggots and started growing like the grass and had this total rebirth experience as everything that I had this like, spiritual experience firsthand and I sort of understood um, a little bit more than I had before. And it blew my mind completely and I just realized I know absolutely nothing about anything and i'm curious now and i want to go deeper on this path and so that really opened up me to a whole new uh, world of, of plant medicine and i think they're a tool i think psychedelics are not the answer i think that a lot of people um put them on a pedestal as like the, the, the answer to all their problems and it's going to change their life and i think that for me that's not a healthy sort of way to sort of um view them i think they're a tool and i think you need to view them as a tool to help give you more awareness to the things you need to work on within yourself. And sometimes they'll break you out of a pattern or a depression and give you some space to now do the work yourself or um, give you insights on yourself or you know, help you to see things in a different way. But it always comes back to you then taking those and integrating it through your life, changing a habit, doing things differently, changing your environment.
1: So my guest today is Giovanni Bartolomeo also known as Gia and uh, Gia is actually a friend of mine Um, he's a fellow biohacker spiritual seeker um, psychonaut and um, entrepreneur and you know I, I really like this guy because you know he's maybe not the most popular person out there but he has enormous knowledge and wisdom and uh, love uh, experience with many things um, so that's why i really wanted to interview him so he's a certified wim hof method instructor and he shares um, some of the ideas and the science behind this method um, wim hof spreading method that i've been using myself as well so he's a extremist and he actually did 55 day fast and he talks about benefits um, and side effects um, in this interview Gio has a lot of experience with psychedelics as well so he actually goes into um, some of the things some of the realizations and we we discuss Uh, this topic and this interview is actually in two parts and part two is available to our patreon supporters only and in part two he goes into um, some of the concepts like ego how he understands ego Uh, we talked about entrepreneurship and uh, ethics in business um, how big corporations operate uh, why there are unethical in most cases being in the flow and surrendering yourself to whatever comes and synchronicities in your life so there is a lot of interesting things there again Gia is an amazing guy you should check out his documentary psyched out where he interviews some of the biggest names in the psychedelic scene and now Enjoy the show with Giovanni Bartolomeo. So this is Mike Siglar from truefear.com and this is truefear podcast episode 10. And my guest today is Giovanni Bartolomeo. Giovanni is an entrepreneur, life adventurer, passionate about natural health, self-development, spirituality, and plant medicines. He's the director and producer of a documentary called Psyched Out that delves into healing effects of plant medicines, such as ayahuasca. He's also the founder of a wellness center called Elemental, located in Toronto, Canada. And Gio is a vlogger and podcast host and you can check out his YouTube channel called Elemental Awakening. So Gio, welcome to the show.
0: Awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for having I'm gonna have to record that snippet. It's a it's probably the best intro. Because everyone asks me what do you do? And it's like, oh I don't even know where to start. I'm just gonna press play and they can hear your voice. <laughs> All yeah, that stuff and a few other things. And I'm a dad too.
1: Everything together. You have a lot of stuff going on. And
0: yeah, I seem. I find to try to keep myself busy. It's one of the things I'm working on now. Is why do I always feel like I need to do so many things? You know, it's one of my recent challenges I've discovered about myself. Where every time I take a few things off my plate, somehow or another, something else finds its way onto the uh, to-do list. But, anyways, I don't know if you want to get into that or where you want I mean, to start what's today.
1: The, like, let's say, what's the main thing for you now? Like, you're saying you kind of juggling things. It's,
0: So the the main things that I'm working on right now in my life, like the main focus of the things that are exciting to me, yeah. So the things that are actually uh, in fruition, that are actually happening right now, I would say we have an online school, the Personal Development School, I'm a co-founder in, which is really um, really helps people with. Um, Reprogrammed subconscious mind identifying some of their, the things they need to work on in their life and how to sort of fix those and we, we launched that it's just actually ye, the 2nd of October was our one year anniversary and the first year we've seen amazing growth and amazing feedback and a lot of changes and learning so that that's where I spend most of my time now and we also have the studio which is Elemental Wellness where we're building like an in-person community which I felt is also important uh, to actually have physical contact especially with all this COVID stuff going on at this time and there's a lot of challenges around that because the government in Ontario looks like they're trying to go for a second wave right now and shutting everything down. So those are the two main things I'm currently working on. And, and um, as part of the, the wellness studio, we're now certifying breathwork uh, instructors. So um, my, my back one of my backgrounds, I'm a breathwork coach, actually trained with Wim Hof. And then I started trying all different modalities and learning things and experimenting. And we came up with our own type of experience um that we were we were i guess facilitating for people which we found very transformative and i wanted to train some of the staff to also facilitate so we can have breathwork classes every night because i'm a dad and you know although I, I would love to teach breathwork every night it's not always feasible you know i gotta i gotta set my priorities and balance with the family life and so i trained them all and then they were able to easily um i won't say easily but they learned and their experiences are, are amazing as well um so it's something that can definitely be taught and so we're trying to expand that now. So now outside of the studio, if people want to learn this, because I feel it's one of the most powerful tools that I can teach to share people to create change. So it looks like that might go into part of an online school as well, where there's going to be breathwork courses where people can use them every day. Um, so those are my main focuses. And the dream, like the big dream that's in the back of my head, um, which is starting to manifest now, is creating a retreat center. Um, friend of mine just bought some property out in Costa Rica. We're looking at doing something in Ontario where people can really go to explore themselves mentally, spiritually, emotionally, physically, you know, um, where they can move their body, exercise, breath work, We're looking at things like dark retreats, all the things that interest me to have a, a little kind of different kind of getaway um, than just, you know, going somewhere and drinking and restaurant and all this kind of. Typical norms, uh, a little bit different than the spa. So, something that really allows you to go deep uh, and have different experiences. So, I don't know if that that answers your question, but. uh, uh,
1: Things here that I want to talk about, you know, uh, Wim Hof's breathing method is something actually I got interested in recently. But first, let's maybe what's the meaning of elemental awakening? Why you came up with this name?
0: In the first place. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, good question. Um so the name Elemental came from the um from our wellness studio. So so when I was thinking of a wellness studio that I wanted to create, I wanted to create a name that um that I felt was was simple to understand and had a lot of meaning to it. Okay. And Elemental, um has a few different meanings, so elemental in one way means um, the elements, so fire, earth, uh, water, um, and air, and um, so I really love that, because it's, it's very powerful, uh, the forces of nature, and they, they each symbolize sort of a different type of energy, at the studio we were going to have like different sort of modalities that sort of would embody each one, like breathwork, or um, sauna, or floating, uh, sensory deprivation tanks, etc., um and then i just love the word awakening because i feel like you know the entire earth is in this process of awakening right now you know me on an individual level and i see the people around me that are going through their stuff which doesn't necessarily look like just opening your eyes it's a lot of you know just uh movement of energy and you know discomfort in a way realizations of these uncomfortable truths but it's a process and the intention of the, of the podcast and the YouTube channel is to share what I'm going through, some of the insights that I have and some of the friends that I have, their insights, just to sort of, um, you know, hopefully land on someone's ears that may be going through a similar process that may be unsure of what's going on, may not have anyone to talk to in their surroundings. So, yeah, the elemental awakening is a combination of something that's simple and powerful um, with the intention to sort of um, raise consciousness and help people on their journey.
1: Tell us what was your process of awakening like?
0: That's
1: <laughs> like one of my first questions for every guest. You know, I'm always interested in in this stuff.
0: Yeah. So for me, it was. Um, I guess it really started maybe like 2000, mid 2000s, and. I had a very good upbringing, you know. Lived in the suburbs in Toronto, and had a lot of friends, and did well in school. I was a really smart kid, and, um, you know, after um, after university, started working. You know, I just, I don't know what happened, but I, I I thought that I was getting sick, you know, and I was I don't know if it was the media I was watching, and and something just made me think that I was sick, that I was dying. And for a couple months, I believed it, and when my mind was thinking that. I just felt myself getting sicker, more tired. I was imagining symptoms. You know, I was reading up on the internet, like all these things, and they were making my mind, um, you know, go into sort of loop. and And I didn't know this at the time, but you know, the way you feed your mind and the things you believe really has an effect on uh, how you create your reality and the way you feel. So that sort of led me down this conspiracy theory type path where I was looking at like cures for stuff and just going down these crazy rabbit holes um and there wasn't a lot available on the internet at that time personally like this is probably like pre-facebook um but there was the internet and people were posting all kinds of crap so I was just really getting lost in that, which was sort of making it worse than making it better and it put me into this sort of like place where I felt like I had a choice. It's like you can sort of like fill your mind with all this crap or you can sort of like focus on like accepting that you're gonna die one day and just become more spiritual and start of like looking into that sort of path. So that led me down a different path. So I started reading Eastern philosophy. I started you know, I sort of left the conspiracy stuff aside, realizing that it didn't really matter and really didn't really, it didn't really have any really effect on me whether it was true or not and even if things were true i still have to face the same things mentally emotionally and spiritually whether i'm dying or not um and just have to accept that and just sort of like focus on this this path of spirituality and i didn't even know what that was i was born uh, catholic i went through all like baptism confirmation but i never ever had a spiritual connection i never really understood what that meant um, although I thought the story of Jesus was great and and all you know like the things I would hear at church, yeah, these are good things, but there's never really any interest or connection. Um, and as I'm going down this path and you know like studying more like um, the Bhagavad Gita, Eastern philosophy, Buddhism, uh, I was watching a video online which had Alan Watts. Um, and he was just talking uh, about, uh, I can't remember exactly what he was talking about. But I remember in the comments, one of the comments just jumped off the screen at me. And I talked about this in my documentary. And it was just basically like, if you think Alan Watts is interesting, like er- Terrence McKenna will blow your mind. And I'd never heard this guy's name before. And so immediately I click you know, into the YouTube search, and Terrence McKenna pops up press play and just like my awareness was just absorbed into like a tunnel into the computer it was just like hearing him talk about things the way he spoke was like nothing I'd ever heard before and just really sort of got my attention and you know that probably that night there I probably watched you know like five or six hours of straight Terrence McKenna YouTube videos just binge watch sucked me right in and you know he was talking a lot about psychedelics, and at that point, I never used psychedelics in a conscious way. You know, a few parties here and there with with alcohol and, you know, smoking marijuana and in very sort of um, social settings. And something told me I had to try this ayahuasca thing. I'd never heard of it. No one I knew had ever spoken of it. This is probably like 2010, maybe. So I know it's been around thousands of years. But for me, it was a brand new thing. And... To my awareness at that point, I couldn't find it. It didn't exist in North America. It was only somewhere in South America I had to go find it. So I went down there. And I was already starting to practice meditation at the time. So I wasn't really saying I had, like, any real spiritual experiences. But I was starting to feel this different energy coming on through, like, just focusing my awareness, reading these things. But it wasn't until I did ayahuasca and actually died in my first experience and disintegrated and became... um, eaten by all the maggots, and started growing like the grass, and had this total rebirth experience as everything, that I had this like spiritual experience firsthand, and I sort of understood um, a little bit more than I had before, and it blew my mind completely, and I just realized I know absolutely nothing about anything, and I'm curious now, and I want to go deeper on this path, and so that really opened up me to a whole new uh, world of, of plant medicine. Which led me into, you know, breath work, Wim Hof, biohacking, all these other things where I was just constantly sort of just exploring myself and the limits of the human body as started we getting to like some long-term fasting um, and different cleanses and meditation, dry fasting. And, you know, like I kept on realizing new things and having ton more questions of questions. Like, I know nothing, but I know a little bit more than I knew yesterday. That's, that's exciting. So um, that was sort of a 10-year process. So there wasn't really an awakening moment. Um, but around the same time, like, I guess when I was getting sick, part of that sort of awakening was also realizing that what I was doing meant nothing. I was in sales, I was selling food products, I was doing well, I was making money, uh, I just got married and, you know, I've. I was doing everything right that I was told I was supposed to do as a kid, you know, like buy a nice car, buy a house, you know, make some money, go on vacation twice a year. And I just remember one day I was, I was, I just woke up out of bed and sat the side of my bed and I looked at my hands and I had this vision or a daydream of like, just my hands getting old and wrinkly doing the same thing every day. It's like, you're going to do this for 60 years. And like, who cares? Like, Figure out what you're supposed to do in this lifetime and, and let's get going here. Like That was like a thought in my head. Like, you can't do this for the rest of your life. And I had no idea what that meant, what I'm supposed to do. But now I see it was like a little bit of a wake-up call. So I'd say like if there was a moment, it was between that and getting sick, which sparked everything. And, you know, it's interesting because like when I thought I was sick, it was one of the worst things that ever happened to me. And then looking back through my life, every major shift sort of came out of this really challenging experience where something would happen. And then I was forced to sort of reevaluate like who I was and what I was doing. It was always nine times out of 10, a very challenging experience where I had to just really sort of think like, what the hell is going on in my life right now? Like, and why is this happening to me?
1: Yeah. It's very often that we have to go through some kind of crisis and, um, you know, that kind of propels us to look for a different path. And then when you look back a couple of years later, you see that, Crisis as something that actually benefits you now, like as a gift almost. But when you were saying mm-hmm. that you were sick, was it like a depression or lack of happiness? With-
0: so I think it started off as as that, and that was feeling unfulfilled. Although like there was nothing in my environment that would indicate that I had any reason to be upset or depressed or anything like that. But I think it was just a lack of fulfillment and purpose. Which then started bringing my energy down. My sleep levels would go down. I started feeling anxious. And then I thought that I had like a serious disease. I didn't know what it was. But the more I would think about being sick, the more I'd feel sick. The more I'd go online and say, oh, you know, um, can't sleep, insomnia. All of these things come up. You have cancer. You're dying. This and that. Then I would, you know, when you start putting symptoms into Google, it just gives you every worst case scenario. So just sort of feeding this perpetual sort of mindset of like, fear like yeah you're dying uh, but it was nothing that i was ever diagnosed with or anything that was a real sort of disease it just slowly started at my i think for some silly reason my subconscious mind needed something to wake me up and scare me to serve sort of change you know and i i think it was just totally self-perpetuating like self-inflicted um fear that needed to get me to move a little bit and sort of change the way i was thinking so yeah
1: And am What was your experience with uh, Wim Hof and um, his breathing method? I'm pretty curious about it. You know, recently uh, I've been hearing about Wim Hof for a long time and uh, somehow, you know, I never actually got into his methods. And a couple of months ago I started practicing on my own and I got pretty hooked, um, you know, quite quickly because like for example the breathing method is very powerful i can see the change literally after like 10 minutes of doing it like my mind gets clear straight away and i don't know many things that work in such a way so quickly you know so you almost like you see the benefits straight away and i think that's one of the reasons why it's uh you know so popular Gaining so much popularity so I got hooked on it and now I'm doing like up to five times a day when I do you know breaks when I'm sitting in front of the computer I need to take a break I just gonna do like 10 minutes of reading and uh, you know because I didn't have anyone to work with so I was just self-taught watching some stuff on YouTube so I want to know a little bit of maybe your story Um, you have a lot more expertise and also, um, do you think you can uh, overdo it? Like, if I, I've been doing, let's say, the breathing now for like five times a day, 10 minutes, more or less, um, can it become dangerous in some way? Um, yeah, and how to progress yeah, okay. with it as well, you know? because
0: Cool, yeah. yes. Good questions. A lot of good questions. So, um, where do you want me to start yeah, with Wim maybe you with, with the breathing? To I, I can for people who
1: might not be familiar. Like, what is it about, and who who is Wim Hof?
0: Yeah, so Wim Hof is a very special guy, and the thing that I probably like the most about Wim is that um, he is himself at all times. So, aside from the breathing method, the Guinness records. Whenever you meet him, he's just like in this zone of Wimness. He's just Wim all the time. He's He's a little bit wild; he just loves to sort of put himself out there. Um, he's got this energy that sort of just draws you in when he talks and um, i'm I'm very grateful and lucky to know him personally and I met him at a time when I think um, it was just before he totally blew up and you know, I used to have these little groups which was, which I used to gather friends together um, this was like earlier on um, as I was sort of awakening I'd say before I had my ayahuasca experience and um or just around just around that same time i can't remember exactly but it was just around the time maybe i just had done ayahuasca and we would get together and we'd watch some videos and like just talk about these interesting things and one time i was looking for something that was really inspiring and different and um i came across Wim and i, I watched i think one of his like um documentaries um becoming superhuman or something like that and I remember seeing him and just like wow who is this guy and we watched the video and he's doing all these crazy things and it really stuck out to me as was another thing and he was like yeah like anyone can do this like that was his thing it was like yeah these are crazy things but anyone's capable of doing this and they're doing all those tests like the like the um the e coli test where they tested all these people and I found that fascinating so I reached out to him And at the time I was launching my first podcast um But I just reached out, and yeah, I sort of just said like, hey, you know, like I was working with a website at the time, and you know, I said, you know, we would love to write a little blog about you, maybe do an interview, and he's like, yeah, absolutely, let's do it. So we hopped on a call, and uh, right away I fell in love with this guy, and he's like, yeah, we're doing our first uh, training in California for instructors, you should come, and he invited me to go and get, become an instructor. And so I went, not knowing much about breathing at the time, or cold exposure, living in Canada. And um, so I started experimenting. And like you said, it was something that immediately you feel a difference. And it was something that was free, and everyone had access to. And so I didn't really understand the power of that at the time, but I was curious. And I ended up going, I did that. then, then, then about five or six months later... <laughs> Funny timing. It was right around the, the the first week long instructor certification was the week of the U.S. election uh, when Trump got uh, elected initially, and I remember being there with thirty so or so Americans, and everyone's just like, "Oh my God, what's going on? Is he going to win?" Um, and I was just like, "Thank God, I don't care about this at all because I'm Canadian." And, and so we did the whole week and. And so my initial like reason for going, a lot of it was ego-based. I wanted to climb a mountain with Wim Hof in my shorts. I wanted to say I did these crazy things. And but over the course of six months, I started having these experiences with breathing, how I would feel different. Or, you know, one time I felt myself uncontrollably start to start crying. And I was like, Where did that come from? You know, I hadn't cried in who knows how long. And when we got there, you know, we're doing all these things, we're going in lakes, climbing mountains, it was a lot of fun. But as people start to share their story, I started realizing you know, A, there's people all different ages, probably from like, you know, 20 to like 60 plus years old. Um, Men, women, different backgrounds, different nationalities, but they'd all been affected in a different way. And and also different like financial backgrounds. Some of them are addicts. Some of them are professionals. Some of them come from high stress environments. Some of them were athletic trainers, but all of them had a different story of how this thing changed their life. And sitting there listening, like, wow, this is powerful. Now I'm going to have I'm being certified I even really didn't have much of an intention of creating a business or like teaching people I was just wanted to go for the experience and I just saw like wow this is a very powerful modality that I can share with people and as I started sharing it after that weekend it was immediately like evidence like wow like this is something that people need and they're getting a lot out of and I was getting a lot out of it both learning and teaching. So, um, that's how I met Wim. We've kept in touch ever since. I ended up bringing him to Toronto. He's supposed to come back this year. Um, you know, like, I don't talk to him a lot. I, I don't want to make it seem like we're best friends or anything. But, you know, we'll message every once in a while. We'll say what's up. And and I love what he's doing because he's just, he's just like a trailblazer. He believes in what he's doing. He's getting results. He's raising money. you got to remember, like, when they do studies and people that want to invest in these things, like drug companies or the pharmaceutical industry, they have no interest in something like this because it's free it actually probably makes people healthier, so it's gonna—it's actually a, um, a competitor to their profit margins, right? Because the more people take their health into their own hands, obviously they're not going to need as much medication and stuff like that. Um, so it's sort of like pushing against sort of a monster in a way, in, in that respect. Um, but he's doing it, and people are realizing that the power of, of taking your health into your own control, and what that's going to mean for, for long term, and and i think right now um the whole healthcare industry is shifting with the biohacking and people being more conscious of all these tools and techniques that are at their disposal so i really um support him for that and and i love what he's doing um so and, and for those who don't know him, he's got like 26 Guinness records. He climbed to the death zone in in Everest. He's done Kilimanjaro in record time. He sat under ice for record time. Some of these records have been broken since. But um, swimming under the ice for the longest distance, you can look him up online. He's got like 26 of them. He's also done some really interesting studies where um, using his method, they were able to boost the immune system. And they get injected with a bacteria. Um where they were able to fight it off and the control group is just getting sick. So some really, really interesting stuff. And I think they're just scratching the surface on, on where it's going. Um, But then back to your question about um, breathing daily and like, yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, that it's something that you can instantly feel a difference. And that's what I love about it. When you share it with someone, it's not like something where it's like, yeah, it might take three or four weeks to feel something or, you know, it's going to happen gradually over time. It's like, no, if you, if you sit down and breathe, even if you don't even breathe properly, but you just give it your all, you're going to feel something. And most people feel euphoric, or feel a sense of clarity, or pain goes away, like all, all different things for different people. And so my philosophy on breathing is, you know, something like Wim Hof breath, or like a pranayama that's very intense. It's like working out. So you don't want to work out 10 times a day. Um, but in small, in small sort of s- I don't think it's, it, it's going to be detrimental to your health in any way, um, and it has a lot of positive benefits, so the, the Wim Hof breathing, so what's happening is, so it's making your body alkaline, so it's changing your pH, and also will help fluctuations in pH, so when you breathe and you have a lot of oxygen, um, you go a little more alkaline, when you, when you um, hold your breath, it raises your carbon dioxide levels, so you're going to go a little bit more acidic those fluctuations actually um, decouple pain uh, receptors in your body, so you feel less pain based on the fluctuation of up and down pH. They found that lasts for up to 24 hours. Um, other things, you know, they say, like, when you change your pH and you raise it, there's a, some controversy around this, but um, they say, you know, cancer can survive in that environment. Um, I think it is somewhat true, and these are just my own beliefs anyways. I think that the body is always going to maintain a certain pH level because if it doesn't... You're going to die between I think it's um 7.2 to 7.6 but you know your environment the stress is going to make you work harder to maintain that so if you're eating shitty processed foods you're going to be more acidic if you're doing all these different things um you're going to be more acidic and then what happens is as a response to an acidic environment whether it's stress or food your body's going to want to breathe at a higher rate to, to balance that and that breathing at the higher rate is not good for you when you're breathing too much. It puts you to fight or flight, stresses your nervous system. Um, it does a lot of things. And chronic hyperventilation, if you look at a list of the symptoms, basically, you know, it leads to all kinds of sort of health disorders and chronic diseases or it's associated with uh, a correlation to them. So when you ask me if you should do it all the time i would say it's fine like doing it four or five times a day for a quick reset but you want to make sure that you're normalize your breathing everywhere else so whenever you're not doing the exercise you're breathing slowly through your nose into your diaphragm and you want to reduce your breathing rate as much as possible um, and, and there's a new book by james Nestor called breathe that I highly recommend it's really good or the oxygen advantage by patrick McEwen. he's he studied patrick studied with um uh, vladimir buteyko and he was a Russian scientist who really pioneered a lot of the um, a lot of the opposite types of breathing techniques, which was normalizing or reduced breathing to increase health. And what, what the theory is, is it just increasing your carbon dioxide level. Um, it's a vasodilator, increases circulation. It helps your body function in a way different way. And there's also something called the Bohr effect that sort of supports that claim. But basically in a nutshell, without getting too much into the science, when you over-breathe, you're expelling too much carbon dioxide and the hemoglobin and uh, the red blood cells is going to hold on to oxygen. Okay. So it means that your blood has a lot of oxygen, but it's not, um, able to sort of, um, disperse it into your tissues and cells. What actually does that is carbon dioxide. Carbon dioxide is not a waste gas. The actual carbon dioxide takes the oxygen and delivers it to your body. So you can perform at a high level. So if you're always expelling all the CO2, you have a very low CO2 tolerance. And so you can only bring so much. So you start, um, actually going more into anaerobic. Although you have all this oxygen holding on by the blood cells, it's not getting delivered into your tissues. So they found that by holding your breath more, by working on bringing yourself and raising your CO2 tolerance, it allows you to perform better. Um, you have better sort of energy levels, better ability to deal with stress and all these things are happening. Um, and so where that sort of overlaps the Wim Hof method, which is interesting. because I try to find like, hey, how can these be such op- opposing sort of uh, philosophies, but they both do the same thing because they both help heal, heal asthma. So, you know, one philosophy is if you start getting asthma attack, you should actually hold your breath rather than try to breathe more because when you hold your breath, it raises your carbon dioxide. It actually helps to sort of vasodilate and sort of relieve inflammation. In the Wim Hof method, you're always heavy breathing, 30, 40 breaths. Then what do you do? You take a breath in, you exhale fully, and then you hold. So as you're doing the 30 breaths, what are you doing? You're breathing out all this carbon dioxide. So your carbon dioxide level is actually lowering. The thing that actually triggers you to breathe is your carbon dioxide level and not your oxygen. So people, most people think, one, carbon dioxide is a waste gas. And two, when I run out of air, I'm going to need to breathe. But that's not the case. It's not when you run out of oxygen. It's when your carbon dioxide level reaches a certain point. It triggers that uh, breathing reflex. So... Imagine you're doing 30 rounds, thirty breaths in a round. So your carbon dioxide level is going really low. Your oxygen level is always going to stay up here. Every breath in you take, your oxygen goes pretty much back to 100. And then you hold. So now it's going to take so much longer for your carbon dioxide level to hit that point where you need to breathe. But also, because it's taking you longer, you go into a hypoxic state. So very low oxygen. So it's training your body to deal with low oxygen and high carbon dioxide. And that's a good sort of to train it. Um, and both states have different effects. So high CO2 and low oxygen. Oxygen will have different effects on the body when you train it. Um, it's amazing for stimulating um, stem cells, for circulation, um, creating new sort of um, cardiovascular pathways. It creates new like blood vessels. And there's like, a huge list for both. But that's sort of where they overlap. It's like, oh, I can see like how this is really good and how that method is good as well. And I sort of went on a total tangent there. I hope that made sense, but I tried to explain it you know, in the most simplest way one, for the podcast.
1: One thing that it's also interesting to me, why do you actually, when you do 30 breaths, for example, the first thing after you exhale and you hold, and you actually, you hold much longer than the second thing what you do, you inhale for 15 seconds afterwards. So... It's all about, mm-hmm. like, first, after 30 breaths, you exhale and you hold maybe one minute, maybe a minute and a mm-hmm. half. And and then when you inhale, you hold, but you hold only for 15 seconds. Why this is the way, you know, it's organized?
0: Yeah, because, yeah, like, this is his method, but typically every breath you take in, it's going to bring your our, your oxygen level back to somewhere between 96 to 100. It just takes one breath. To get you back up there and what's happening is you know what we're doing the hold you're bringing your co2 level all the way up so as soon as you breathe in you have all this carbon dioxide ready to bring the oxygen to the cell so all it really takes is that one breath to of, you know reset the whole system flood it with oxygen and then you can start the next round because um, your carbon dioxide level and your oxygen went really low your co2 is really high that reset doesn't take that much long because when you breathe in a deep breath immediately it's like sends it into the system so I think that's just the way they design the method. You could probably do another hold on the top if you wanted to um all the way in and hold for as long as you could. That could be interesting as well and you can remember like there are hundreds of breathing techniques, especially now everyone has their own breathing technique you, you know you go on on the app at the app store there's a thousand breathing apps, and everyone's got you know all these things, and they all really come from uh Pranayama, which is uh Vedic you know yoga uh philosophy. And they branched off from there, went into the East, into the Buddhist and Tumo and stuff like that. And they have a lot of similarities. And, you know, now in the West, you have everyone's making up every single breathwork, but it all really comes from that. And it's, you know, no matter how you cut it, they're doing similar things based on the way, the pace, the way you hold your breath as well.
1: Hey, guys, Mike here. Just a quick note as some of you know currently on the web there are some serious attempts to censor the information that do not fit the mainstream narrative and we at True Fury have experienced that firsthand we have been shadow banned we have been demonetized we even lost some of our accounts so now more than ever we need support from our followers and people like you so we accept donations if you want to help us out just go to truefear.com forward slash donate and anything helps we also accept cryptocurrencies and we we've been creating free content for the last 10 years and our goal was always to just expand consciousness of humanity and raise awareness about important things but it's becoming increasingly harder to do so so any support helps and um, you know thanks a lot for supporting us and if you cannot help financially that's not a problem um, maybe you can share our content on social media share it with your friends that always helps and we are on all major platforms so make sure you subscribe as well we're on Facebook Instagram, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube. Just search for Truth Theory or Truth Theory Podcast and make sure you follow us or subscribe. And again, if you want to support us, just go to truththeory.com forward slash donate. And um, now back to the show yeah it's also interesting that you don't hear much about actually chi or prana because like one thing is what happens um, on a biological level and the other thing with oxygen and carbon um, you know carbon dioxide but the other thing is also with absorbing chi because breathing is also linked to that you know you have meridians and and I, I'm actually mm-hmm. sensitive to this stuff, so I can feel that when I'm doing the breathing methods. I, I can sense how I'm, you know, my left hand is tingling, for example, when I do like intense breathing and all these kind of things. But yeah, mm-hmm. this is actually another part of like all these methods, you know?
0: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And it's been thousands of years they've been talking about. If you look at any philosophy, they're, they always talk about the importance of breath. Whether it's Christianity, whether it's you know the Vedic text, whether it's Buddhism, there's all you'll find a bunch of um, you know proverbs or, or sayings that all say like the importance of the breath, the importance of nose breathing, all these things. And the, and the yogis actually would study animals, and they realized um, back to the other question about breathing too much: the animals that breathe the slowest usually mm-hmm. live the longest, and the ones that breathe the quickest are the okay. shortest lifespan. So right there, it tells you, you know, it's really important to slow down your breath. It helps you to relax. You just feel calm and you're not in that stress state that when you're breathing quickly, it's like you're always fight or flight, ready to go at any time. Yeah. Yeah. So the first thing anyone should do is just focus on how you're breathing. Set a reminder on your phone three you or four times a day. Check in with your breath. I think breath awareness is the most important out of all these things. All different practice, what are they doing? They're all focusing on your breathing and have some awareness to your breath. It brings you yeah, back to the center. Uh, I know this
1: yeah. also after... Uh, meditating for many years that I can get into a uh, very slow breathing pace you know when I meditate it just almost like you don't need to breathe sometimes you know it just can get very slow and uh, I know you've been uh-huh. experimenting with uh, um, with fasting as well like you you know mm-hmm. we had this story we published on our website actually talking about your fifty five day fast, and uh, you know <laughs> I want to know a little bit about that like what were the results preparation um, positive and negative side effects mm-hmm. maybe you can talk about that
0: yeah yeah that was that was a really interesting time in my life you know it was, i I'd launched the first podcast and um you know, at that time, also, I was like, yeah, I want to get more followers. I want, you know, to get this message out to more people. A, lot of it, a little bit was ego-based. And, you know, like, it was it was hard. You know, it was hard to sort of grow at that time, especially, you know, this was after sort of, you know, Facebook started changing their algorithm, So it wasn't growing at the same rate That's you know, I'd seen some people that have this explosive growth before. And I was in my head a lot about it. And, you know, the thing that always would come to me in meditation is just just do you. Like, stop worrying about the outside world and focusing on that. Just focus on yourself. Keep doing your work. All that stuff doesn't matter. You know, it's one thing to to say that to yourself. It's another thing to actually catch yourself in these patterns of, you know, um, wanting to grow and wanting to succeed and wanting to be seen and heard. So, you know, I had been hearing about fasting and I've been hearing about longer term fasting and... Um, my wife actually was someone added to some Facebook group where there was a group of people, um, my friend Gino, who's a friend now, he wasn't a friend at the time, who actually ended up living, like, you know, pretty much a few kilometers from me. Um, but anyways, I was put in this Facebook group, I didn't know who ran it, what they were doing, but they were doing these crazy long, uh, fasts for like, you know, up to like, some of them up to 108 days. And a lot of them were having these crazy transformations from anything from like their eyes changing color to healing from like cancer. One guy started, it was, was paralyzed and started walking again. And it was just like the craziest shit. And, and so she's telling me these stories and like, they're taking pictures of their crap and their eyes are changing color. She's like, you got to see this or you got to see like some of the people looked like super anorexic, like they were like they were dying. And I was like, I don't want to see that shit. And, <laughs> and one day she just like, I just looked, and again like there's certain things that happen to me where my attention and curiosity just really like like starts like going off like like the alarm signals are going off and i started like just feeling this pull to like hey you should, there's something here for you so i looked into it i looked up their protocol and what they were doing and i ended up reaching out to the guy who founded it who started it based on his own healing journey and ends up he lives down the street like literally he's from the same place where i grew up so i'm going to meet up with him and, and he starts telling me about like what he was doing and i've always been an extremist so i said you know what? i can give this a shot and so it was it was at the time they were doing 108 day fast so you had to commit to that They said the minimum you should do is 40 which is also crazy um but they've changed it yeah i'll tell you what it, what it, what the protocol was um so nowadays, they've changed it. You can start with a hybrid and work your way up. But basically, um, so it was intermittent grape juice fasting, um, which meant um, you would drink um, grape juice, which is has a very cleansing effect to it just by itself. If you just want to drink uh, like Concord purple grape juice for three days, it'll clean out your whole system. Um, so you would draw, you would intermittent drink the juice. So in a six or eight hour window, you drink just juice. And then outside of that was dry fasting. And every few weeks, you'd extend, a, you'd do an extended dry fast. So you start with 24 hours dry fast. So dry fast is no food or no water. And there's some interesting sort of um, research that's coming out and saying how dry fasting, it's kind of intense, I wouldn't really recommend anyone to start with dry fasting. Uh, but they're saying like, you know, a week dry fast, you can get the, the benefits of like a one week water fast is almost like one or two days of dry fasting. It's like amplifies the effects and, the effects it on stem cell regeneration and one of the original things when i was starting down this path i remembered when i was reading like the all the philosophic text all of these great sages they did these long-term fasts and had these crazy connection downloads so it was like okay that was the main sort of lure for me i want to see what happens to my mind and the way i think and feel um so yeah so you, you drink the grape juice and they had like um psyllium husk you take it with some grape juice which was like zero calories but it was like just a fiber to help you continue going to the bathroom um and a few tinctures that were helping the detox process so just some tinctures you'd add into like the a tea once a day it was like a kidney filtering tea um but that was it and that went on for me it was about 60 days and the longest i had done a dry fast for was five days so i did five days with no food or water and as the fast went on i was losing a lot of weight so i went from about 190 to the end of it i was about like Around 140 pounds. And I hadn't been 140 pounds since I was probably like grade nine, the ninth grade. So, like 13, 14 years old. It was interesting though, because I, when I looked at myself in the mirror, although I was super skinny, I didn't feel like I looked that way. It was only looking back. I was like, holy shit. Like, I look like I was like dying. And my, my family, my wife was like, the reason I stopped, because I'm really hard headed. Once I start something, I usually like finish it. She was like, you have to stop. You look, you're going to die. Everyone thinks you're sick and you're dying of cancer or something like that. Like, you have to stop. And so I stopped. And it was pretty crazy because, you know, f- the first week was challenging. Uh, but the actual physical cravings sort of subside after about five to seven days. So you don't really crave food as much anymore. You just get into this, like, um, state. Your senses are hiding like crazy. I could smell, like, what people were cooking down the street for dinner. <laughs> um, and, and that's sort of a natural sort of, like, um, technique. If you were a hunter-gatherer and you were hungry it improves your eyesight, it makes you sort of, um, think clearly, it, um, your senses are heightened, so you can find food, and my ability to do work was crazy, and not everyone has the same experience as I did, but I was super focused, super clear, like, decision making was no problem, my intuition was, like, I could easily, sort of, look into things, if I had an issue, and what the answer was, um, 100%, but I was drinking grape juice, so, like, Theoretically, like I would break break breaking ketosis, but because I wasn't really adding any food, maybe I was just easily switching back into it as soon as, like, you know, I think they say you have to go like two or three days without any sugar to enter ketosis. Um, but I just felt super sharp, like super sharp, super clear, so much energy. I was sleeping maybe like five hours a night, waking up fully ready to go. I could work 10, 12 hours a day, whether it's on the computer, no matter. And I had all this energy. It was like even after like 40 days, I was still playing squash. Um I'd feel lightheaded at times when I was just overdoing it but like I had the energy to do it and I was like okay I'm 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 going to keep pushing it I was doing saunas I was doing like sweat lodge ceremonies and like all the recommendations say like don't do any of this stuff when you're fasting. Um but I was listening to my body I was super in tune I was just like okay like I'll give this a shot and see what happens. Um yeah and I I was able to meditate at a different level it was, it was just interesting like everything started to change and I and I was organizing like closets in my house and like my computer i cleared out all the files like just my environment had to be super clear and clean where before i felt like i had all this baggage i wanted to become more of a minimalist i got rid of a lot of like extra junk that i had lying around so it was like this really amazing like internal cleanse and external um and going back to sort of again like what i was talking about at the beginning i ended up writing this article about my experience and i just wrote it without any intention of just want to share just being authentic, and sharing what I went through, and I shared that on that website I was working with at the time, and within two days, I had like 4,000 new friend requests, and the the article went super viral all over the internet, and I had, now all these people wanted to like listen to the podcast, it was like this crazy thing, where it was like, just be yourself, and do you, and don't worry about, like just be as authentic as you can, people who need to reach you well, and so now I met all these new friends from all over the world, who are interested in fasting, want to hear about this story, and um, it was just an incredible experience and a week later i broke my fast I ate a papaya it was like the craziest experience like after you fast for a while the experience of eating food is so different first of all you're so much more grateful to have food um the texture the taste the smell like you actually like really pay attention to each bite as it goes down it was it was a wild experience um and now i just do a lot more intermittent fasting i'll do like some like every quarter i'll do like a two or three day dry fast Um, I I don't think, I don't see the value pushing myself that far ever again, but like my blood sugar level is like super stable. I got like a continuous glucose monitor, Um, like a lot of people in the biohacking would just test their glucose levels, so they have these 14 day monitors, and you eat just normally and see what spikes, and I couldn't even get it to spike. I was trying to like drink like maple syrup, or like eating like shitty food, to try and see how it would affect me, but I think the long term fast, plus all these other fasts, really allowed my, my blood sugar levels to be like amazingly solid and not fluctuate um, yeah the negative side effects was social so it was very difficult to be in a social setting because I realized how much of our social life revolves around food um, whether it's holidays whether it's going out with friends uh, and then just feeling like an outcast when you're there you can't eat anything so you're sitting there if it's ordering eating, sharing food and you're just sitting there, you know, not eating, um, having a little bit of grape juice. So that was one. Um, again, like a lot of people have told me as I was going into it, that there's like this crazy detox symptoms and you're going to feel like shit. I never felt any of that. Um, luckily, um, and just like losing all the weight, you know, you just look really skinny, you know, towards the end, you know, obviously wasn't as strong as I was before, but my body felt great. I never felt like that. Like uh, I guess I had like, very very low inflammation. I, I went to get a blood test, um, probably at about the fifty day mark, because my wife was like, "Just go to the doctor and just do some blood work at least, see what's going on." And all the the markers were one hundred percent healthy. It was like super like perfect on everything, except the only thing they said is they found a little bit of ketones in my urine, um, which I figured would be the case because you know uh, was probably in and out of ketosis most of that you know fifty days. But, yeah, like, I couldn't really find any major sort of um, setbacks. The other thing people really got to be careful is introducing food again. So I had, like, a plan to sort of reintroduce food slowly into my diet. That's, you know, like, after the war, uh, World War II, uh, even, I think, World War One, when they went into these these slave camps or um, the um, they'd find, like, prisoners of war, um, they, they obviously did the, the war, you know, when people lose a war, their first priority is not to make sure the prisoners are fed. They're probably trying to, you know, defend for their lives. So people were left there starving, and they found them. And what they did was they fed them, and they fed them right away. And they all, most of them, died because their body couldn't digest the food because they hadn't eaten so long. They gave them things like meat and potatoes and just blocked their whole intestines and, and ended up dying. Sadly, um, imagine that surviving a war and dying because you, you're eating. Um, crazy, crazy scenario. Um, so it's really, really important to reintroduce food slowly. So I started with some juice, some soups, papaya, and you know, over a couple of days. But the whole transition, transition was great. It was an amazing experience. I learned a lot about myself. Probably wouldn't do that extreme again. Um, but we'll see. Who
1: knows? And, um, did you go for any preparation uh, before that? Like, that was like you jumped straight away into like this crazy long fast? Uh,
0: yeah, so I had done a few short fasts in the past. I'd done like a, a bunch of like one day fasts. I'd done a bunch of three day juice fasts, and I'd done one seven day juice fast before this with different types of juice. So you know, when you go to like the juice bar they give you like a whole week of juice, and then I'd, I'd done those were the three day ones, and I'd done a one seven day one at home where I was just blending my own fruit juices. So I had some experience, um, but you know, nothing anywhere close to this. It was a big jump to go from seven days to. I think it was like fifty eight days by the time I actually finished. Wow. Yeah.
1: Yeah, no. It sounds yeah, so sounds that's, pretty crazy that's... to me. Like I don't know, one of the things I I think one time I tried to do fasting for a day <laughs> and it wasn't wasn't easy I do not I I well, w I don't I don't like to lose body weight as well. That's something to think about. But, you know, everyone talks about it, so I guess at some point you got to try. And I think the worst is the biggest yeah, like,
0: thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. The, the first three or four days, the hardest. You start realizing how qu- very quickly how addicted you are to food, how your mind. So it took me about three weeks to stop thinking about food. So it took me one week to stop craving. It took me to the third week. Everything I was thinking about was food. You smell food. What am I going to eat next? I wonder what that tastes like. Um, you know, it's lunchtime. What's the first thing I'm going to have for lunch when I break this thing? It was just the mind. It was just thinking about food, thinking about food. And it took a couple of weeks for that to go, so I just realized how addicted we are to food and how we use it to sort of uh, numb ourselves. Like a lot of people eat because it just numbs your feelings. So that w- that was super interesting as well. Um, but yeah, I was gonna say something else, but I forgot. I
1: um, so I want to talk about your psychedelic experiences as well. Um, you know, okay.
0: you
1: created this documentary called Psyched Out. You interviewed some of the biggest names in this scene. Um, So, you know, how many times have you tried uh, (laughs) anti-agents and what were like some of the biggest experiences?
0: Yeah, good question. Um, so, So I've done a lot uh in my opinion it's a lot compared to some other people it's nothing and compared to some people it's a crazy amount and a lot i mean like frequency and people ask like you know like you've done ayahuasca aren't you healed like how much more do you do you have to do like why are you addicted and i don't think you get addicted to psychedelics some people do definitely use it as an escape and maybe 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 i put myself in there i guess it's you know, if you're an addict, your first step is denial, but I really don't think that's the case at all. Um, I don't feel the need to want to always go back. Like I really sort of wait and feel into when it's a good time. I've probably done ayahuasca about somewhere around 50 times, 40 to 50 times. I've done ayahuasca ceremonies, um, 5-MeO, mushrooms, iboga, um, LSD, MDMA, um, ketamine, so I've tried all of these, experimented with them in a, in a much more conscious way than what I'd previously done, just maybe like psilocybin um, growing up, uh, more in a party setting. But since I sort of had this new sort of realization, a lot of the time, like almost 95% were were in a ceremonial setting. Some of them were done like just out of nature, which is also for me I considered in a ceremony, although it's not an actual traditional ceremonial setting like some of these newer compounds you know there's not really much of a tradition or lineage to it but we I always try to bring it with some intention um, a good set and setting people that I trust and care about or someone that, that I can trust that's watching over me so when it comes to experiences you know like, I don't know where to even begin, like some of the most profound, crazy, um, life-changing experiences. And a lot of times the question comes up, it's like, is this a real experience or is this something my mind's creating to create the most uh, impactful realization that's going to shift my consciousness so as a plant that's smart that's saying like hey based on all the things you've experienced in your life this experience is going to give you this whether it's scary experience whether it's a challenging experience whether it's a joyful experience it's using you know what's i'm going to sort of interpret as powerful and i think that's interesting because you know are you tapping into another world or a different dimension you know someone who's never um heard of jesus Or some of these Buddhist gods are never going to see them because it's not in their consciousness. And I don't think that means that they're not connected there. I just think it means it wouldn't mean anything if they saw it. You know what I mean? They wouldn't have that sort of effect on them. And I think the psychedelics are very smart in that way. Um, So I've, I've connected with my dead grandfather who passed away when I was one and had like this whole childhood experience with him. I've... I've died, like I mentioned earlier, and come back to life. I've seen past lives, or what I can only interpret as past lives, which gave me a lot of insight into why I, you know, was was a prepper at one time, worried about the end of the world, because I'd lived through a catastrophe. That's what it showed me in my past life. Also, you know, why my kids are afraid to be alone and have all this fear, um, because they are part of that catastrophe as well. So they always want to be by my side. Just sort of show me all these things. Now, is it true or not? I'm not sure. But I think what it does is, for sure... Is those insights or realizations help you to lead a better life now so seeing that i was like changing my perspective about how to be a better parent or how to like let go of you know worrying about things that may happen because it doesn't matter and i'm back here again and i'm having this experience and we don't really know what's next but it helped me to sort of see beyond death and looking in a different light as well and every time there's a different insight or experience no matter what the medicine is um it's always something new sometimes it's very subtle and it's something you sort of need to sit with for a while and integrate. and Sometimes it's just like right in your face, like, "Hey, you need to do this," or, "Or you no longer no longer need to worry about this," or uh, very very obvious truths that smack you kind of in the face. That can be you know physically challenging or emotionally difficult to sort of process. But you, most of the time, looking back is exactly what you need. So people ask me, like, my favorite. Like, I have a really good connection with mushrooms. I think because they're uh, accessible and they're also much more sustainable than, like, ayahuasca and stuff like that. So I feel like that's that's one that um, I, I really connect with. And the thing I like about um, the mushrooms is that um, there's no real known toxicity. And something that I've recently got into, and I have a recent podcast with Kyle Kingsbury where he shares his 30-gram um, mushroom experience. Um, and there's a guy called Kalindi E.E who um, sadly passed away this year, um, who was the first guy that I heard speak about these high dose psilocybin experiences where he'd go like 20, 25, working your way up to these really, really intense experiences. So the most I've done was um, 16 grams. And you know, it's right up there with ayahuasca as far as intensity of experience. I wouldn't say it's exactly the same. There's a lot of differences um but it's up there you know um very profound very deep i saw like the inner workings of my mind and um myself observing the thoughts and going into this loop of who's observing what and what's observing who um saw myself die and realize you know how this concept of death is very sort of um limiting and it's not really truth in any way and i saw how throughout time uh, you know like my consciousness lives beyond this physical body. It was a really, really amazing sort of uh, experience and how not to worry about little things. You know, your mind finds these little things to worry about, but it's not important. So that was the psilocybin high dose. Ayahuasca, like I mentioned before, all these crazy experiences. And I also really found an affinity for 5-MeO-DMT. Um, I've only done it a handful of times because um, I haven't felt the need to do more. It's just one of those experiences It's so... I feel so transformative and so deep where you sort of dissolve your consciousness in a way and you merge with this like light and this crazy high vibrational energy. And there's this sense of like, I don't know how to explain it, but like going home, just being where you need to be. You know, it's like like this super high vibration, which is beyond conscious thought um, in many ways. And, um, you know, a lot of people are sharing their stories about 5MEO, I think Mike Tyson's one, who recently in the last couple of years tried it. And, you know, if you hear him talk, before and after that experience is a totally different person. And I think they're a tool. I think psychedelics are not the answer. I think that a lot of people um, put them on a pedestal as, like, the, the answer to all their problems and it's going to change their life. And I think that, for me, that's not a healthy sort of way to sort of um, view them. I think they're a tool. And I think you need to view them as a tool to help give you more awareness to the things you need to work on within yourself and sometimes they'll break you out of a a pattern or depression and give you some space to now do the work yourself or um, give you insights on yourself or you know help you to see things in a different way but it always comes back to you then taking those and integrating into your life changing a habit doing things differently changing your environment and you know if you don't you know, over time, you go back to the same environment, same mindset, the same energy and people around you, you're going to go back to that same pattern. You're just going to regress eventually, maybe in a month, maybe in six months, maybe in a year. But that's why I see a lot of people that just keep going to the escape. I hate my job, I hate my life, blah, 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 eating shitty foods. They go do ayahuasca, they feel amazing for a week. Next week, they start feeling a little bit down. A month later, because they come back to their environment, they don't make any changes. Right? So I see it as a tool, but I think at the center of all of these things, breath work, meditation, fasting ayahuasca psychedelics you are the answer you are the ceremony you are the most important factor in all of this and you got to use these things as tools each one's going to give you a little bit of different information a little bit different experience a little different learning and now you integrate that into you and not putting any one of these things as the answer these are all tools for evolving yourself your consciousness your physical body yeah
1: Yeah. i mean you know they can uh, give you the answers they can set you up uh for life, but then you have to do the work afterwards, you know, you got to continue to be in the state afterwards, which, you know, the real work starts after the trip, right? Um, Mm -hmm. But also, you know, I think that we hear a lot of positive uh, stories about psychedelics, especially in recent years. But I'm curious if you ever had like some really dark bad trips, something that would, you know, maybe have some some negative consequences. Like I, I actually remember I had a friend, um, you know, uh, when I was much younger, I think we were like 18. And he would take a lot of mushrooms at that time, quite regularly. And I remember he kind of completely lost his mind, like, I would not see him for six months and then he would just you know come around with like massive hair and you know talking like like we would not see each other for two days or something so i guess because mm-hmm. you know he was young like he was 18 so maybe his kind of personality was not developed fully and he was going with you know too high doses or something maybe that was the thing because i actually i don't remember a lot of similar stories afterwards but i think it's important for people to remember that you know these are powerful substances and mm-hmm. you know it's same like you you're going to drive a car if you don't know how to drive a car you have no training you're probably going to crash you know are you
0: yes yeah, so that's a really good point um and i would say like You know, there's some situations where things happen just the way they're supposed to happen, where someone with no experience will get into a psychedelic experience and it'll change your life. And a lot of times people are very desperate or like I've seen a lot of like people who are drug addicts that would do ayahuasca, like straight off, never done anything. I'd recommend though, like working your way into it, maybe doing some meditation, breath work, maybe a low dose of like MDMA or psilocybin and work your way up to like these higher doses. And there's certain people who have, um, you know, mental health issues that are sort of can be susceptible um, to certain things like schizophrenia or like having psychotic breaks. Um, you know, I think, you know, it, it's not the psychedelic that sort of did it. It's more like it was going to happen. It just sort of accelerated that. It's my own personal opinion. And I think a lot of the times that when people, use these in a non-responsible way so they don't have a good environment they don't have people that are there to sort of help them you know a lot of times the cases like your friend i would love to ask you know like what was your childhood like did you experience a lot of trauma were you not loved and then like this was an escape that went too far and you didn't know how to integrate it there wasn't a good support system around um you know there could be a thousand variables i think relatively overall when you look at the literature they're very safe um these cases are are very rare Um, But when they do happen, they get a lot of media attention because a lot of people are waiting for like these things to say like, oh, wait a minute, like this is bad because, you know, like, look what happened to this person. Um, But when you weigh that to against like all of the amazing transformation, I think it's very clear, like these are relatively safe. And we have to sort of make sure that we sort of let people know, like, listen, there's safer ways to do this. It's better to do it in a safe way. And I think the whole legality around is what makes it challenging because uh, people are afraid to sort of look for help in these things because they're they're afraid they're going to get in trouble. Um, but a lot of people are going to them out of desperation or from an escape sounds like in some cases. Um, so yeah, so I, I, I definitely recommend to people do your own research, talk to you know healthcare practitioner, find someone that's safe that can sort of help guide you, that has experience to give you tips. Um, you know I, I wouldn't recommend it to anyone um, other than my sharing my own experiences. So it's, it's a very sort of touchy subject now because of legality. But in my own experience, I've had very challenging trips. I've had like when when you, when you die or when you lose touch with reality, it can be scary. Um, and I've been with people that have totally lost their mind completely. Like, I've seen that happen. But I think it always gives you exactly what you need. Okay? And I think sometimes these things are are there to sort of really shake you. Sometimes you have these very rigid sort of views of reality. And the only thing that's going to impact us on a level that sort of will change us is something that sort of rocks us completely. So I don't really like to call anything a bad trip. Um, I think it's 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 intended to be that way to sort of help you to change and help you to sort of grow. And it's important that when you have those intense experiences, you have a very strong support network to help you integrate it and to make sense of it. And maybe not make sense of it like explain what happened, but just be able to support you as you sort of make more sense of it. You know, I've seen some people that have very strong minds very controlling have these experiences and it's so challenging because they have trouble letting go. They don't want to let go. They don't want to lose control. Maybe because something that happened to them in childhood, maybe it's, it's, it's there because losing control meant being unsafe, getting hurt or, you know, being traumatized. So they never want to lose that their mind is I'm never gonna let that happen again. And now in order to heal and move forward, you get to sort of let go of that and the, and the psychedelics trying to like pull and you're pulling back and i've seen those go on where people feel like they're in hell for like 10 hours or six hours it can be very challenging but um i think they're always there to sort of show you and teach you even the bad experiences are the ones that you learn the most of just like in life the most difficult psychedelic experiences were the ones i got the most out of in the long run when i actually sat down and realized what it was trying to show me about myself you know usually it's a reflection of yourself or something that's going on inside your mind um and sometimes it's just healing you on a level that you can't even comprehend you know one of my um my teachers in ayahuasca says sometimes when you can't understand it it's because it'd be too painful to understand what's going on right now what the change is happening inside of you it could be something from a past life or you know something that's just deep within your ancestral um trauma that needs to be healed and if you saw it or felt it you know um, it would be too painful, so you, you don't have any of that experience. That's their interpretation or how they explain yeah, it.
1: So. Sometimes, yeah. yeah. I don't know. There, there can be like things going on that you cannot even comprehend that these plants can help you to work on, and because it's something that you cannot maybe see clearly, you know, it it might seems like you you're having some crazy overwhelming experience but there is a higher intelligence that is actually trying to help you in a way that maybe you don't understand even but it knows exactly what you yeah.
0: do you know it knows exactly and, and that's that's a good point because people go with these intentions and they're so clear like i want this i want that you know who i'm supposed to marry like all these are like, crazy intentions and i tell people like It's good to have intentions, good to be intentional with everything you do in your life, but the medicine is going to give you what you need over what you want. So if you really want clarity on this, but you really need something else, you're going to get what you really need first, because it's going to heal in order of importance, in my opinion.
1: Hey guys, Mike here. Just a quick note. I'm currently offering one-to-one mentoring and coaching through our Patreon page. Um, So as some of you know, I've been interested in personal development for 15 to 17 years. And during this time, I really spent enormous amounts of energy into researching and practicing different techniques. So I'm offering one-to-one video calls through Patreon, and this is really affordable as well. So, um, you know, some of the things that I can help with are to do with starting an online business, building personal brand, Increasing happiness, um, you know, improving mental and physical health, stress reduction, building confidence and self esteem, finding your passion, discovering your life purpose, uh, spiritual development, and going through spiritual awakening, and many other things. So check it out. It's patreon.com forward slash true theory. It's P a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash truth theory hey guys before you're gonna go i just wanted to let you know that this was just part one of this interview and part two is available exclusively to our patreon supporters so uh, check out patreon.com forward slash truth theory and in part two we discussed importance of intentions being in the flow is it even possible to build an ethical company these days ego as a form of dysfunction and some other very interesting topics so check out part two of this episode at patreon.com forward slash true